When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 313, and we are recording on January 11th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. It's cold. <laughs> I was just about to say I'm wearing like four sweaters. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Very good. I am a feral sweater person right now. I have my uh, little foot heater on. I'm doing the like, you know, year of figuring out climate change stuff is like one of my personal mm. things for 2022 and you know i've like been reading a lot about it and everything and so i very self-righteously went upstairs and turned my heat down yesterday and <laughs> it got so cold <laughs> in my house i was like i don't care anymore i don't care and i put it back up where it was yeah <laughs> i'm always cold and we keep the house at 68 which to mm-hmm. me feels like the absolute lowest i can tolerate but i know other people who keep theirs lower than that and i'm just in awe i do also have now thanks to a christmas gift an under desk foot warmer and yes. a little space heater for my office so like yes. i keep my office the temperature i need it to be i keep my house at 67 which is as cold as i can tolerate yeah. but in so. the summer it's like i keep it at 80 because oh I'm yeah like- She's a tropical creature. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So anyway, not weather related, how the yeah. show works is that you send us your reading recommendation requests, and then we recommend things to you. It's pretty simple. So if you have a reading recommendation request for yourself or your book club or for a gift or whatever, you can send those to us at getbookedatbookriot.com, or you can use the form, which is somewhere. I don't know. It's on the site. It's in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we put it? What is time? Um, and if your uh, request is time sensitive, please put that in the subject line of your email or in all caps in the first line of your note if you use the show notes. Okay, so we have one piece of feedback from Kat who says, I have the capital T-H-E recommendation for Chandra who is looking for super immersive historical fiction in Russia. The Eighth Life by Nino Haratishvili is a whopping... 1300 pages and spans the entire 20th century it's the story of a family in georgia not technically russia but part of the soviet union super long you will love every page touches on war revolution loyalty the iron curtain unfortunately this book has flown under the radar in the u.s but it was a big hit in germany and receives great reviews in the uk trigger warnings for war addiction loss of a pregnancy violence and nazis all right i'm going to read our first question and then we will get going our first question is from megan who says I read college applications for my job, and I've been drowning in depressing essays about COVID and student trauma as deadlines are coming up. Thankfully, I'm an avid reader and can use books to escape. I'm looking for warm and fuzzy wrecks. I've read a lot of the more well-known ones, and I've listened to Get Booked for a while. So looking for your less common warm and fuzzies, any genre is fine. I loved House in the Cerulean Sea, hated the Midnight Library, no graphic novels. All right, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. 
Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the Critics Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surrounds St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. Jen, what's your warm and fuzzy? My super fuzzy, super enjoyable pick is Payback's a Witch by Lana Harper, which (laughs) takes place in what is basically like you know, Stars Hollow from the Gilmore Girls, but magic. And the main character, Emmy, is comes from like that this town where magic is real, but it's we're we're set in like contemporary US. So like once you leave the town, magic sort of stops working and you are not a witch anymore until you come back. And she was like not having it. She felt stifled by all of the traditions and like the history and the expectations of the different family lineages. So she left and went to Chicago to like make a quote unquote normal life. But now she has to come back because she's the oldest of the right generation in her family. And she has to, like, judge a magical competition. And she's doing it for her parents. She comes back. She has a terrible encounter with her ex, who she hates and is one of the reasons she left. And, like, heartbreak of the teen variety. And she finds out that he has broken the hearts of several other women in town. And they, like, team up to get back at him. And it is so enjoyable. It is so fun. It is steamy because it's a romance. And it is just, like, I think I just, I could not have felt more distracted and, like, in the best possible way. Like, I was in that book from page one. And I think you will be very absorbed and it will be very different from your daily life, which is what you're looking for, it sounds like. So, again, that is Payback's a Witch by Lana Harper. All right. I picked The Lost Her Words Bookshop by Stephanie Butland, which has a trigger warning for child abuse. I recommended this book on the show before, but it was Moon's in the previous <laughs> many <laughs> moons ago. Um, so I think it's long enough that you've might, maybe not heard of it. So this is about a 25-year-old woman named Loveday Cardew, because 
Wow. British. I know. That's a name. I love Day. Um, who lives in the UK and works at a charming bookstore, a charming little independent bookstore. And she's worked there since she was 15. She has a secret past and a very upsetting childhood. And she is, like, super into books. You know, she's an indie bookseller. She's cranky. She likes poetry. She's got a lot of tattoos. Her hair is her personality. You know, that kind of thing. And she doesn't like people so much, except for her boss, the owner of the bookstore, who is described... I kept picturing him as Teddy Roosevelt. Like, that's, the, like, the, the mustache <laughs> and the, like, kind of jolly. Like, he's a crankier Santa Claus. But in my head, he was just Teddy Roosevelt. He's got this secret life where he's got on all these adventures. So he's just, like, a rough writer in my, my head. So I loved him. Anyway, um, Love Day has, you know, she's, whatever, she's cranky. I already said that. But then she starts getting mysterious packages that show up at her store that indicate to her that somebody out there in the world, like, knows about her secret past and is, um, you know, just, like, sending her these unsigned packages that reference it. And she doesn't really know what to do with that. At the same time this is happening, um, this, like, poet slash performing magician man comes in to claim a lost book and takes quite a liking to Miss Love Day and starts trying to get like bring her out of her shell and invite her to go on dates and like do things out in the world where humans are and she's like mm, questionable questionable <laughs> I'm, I mean you're cute but the outside is where the people happens anyway it's adorable like it's it's just very like if Anne of Green Gables lived in the early 2000s and was a little punk rock and lived in the UK and like worked at a bookstore that's kind of the feeling that you get by the end of it um all with Teddy Roosevelt <laughs> so what, what else do you want so that's the Lost for Words bookshop by Stephanie Butland that's quite a recommendation <laughs> all right our next question is from Emily who says my parents have just sold my childhood home the house they lived in for 20 years I visited this weekend for the last time, and I'm feeling all of the nostalgia and sentimentality. It brings back a wave of memories of my family and friends, the people who made me who I am. This has made me want to read something that can share in these feelings and memories alongside me. I'm looking for a book that is almost a reflection on childhood and adolescence, a reflection on the profound impact the early people in our lives hold. I want a book that takes me back to grass-stained shorts and bare feet and first kisses, but from the perspective of someone reflecting back and telling the story of their childhood slash adolescence from a place of adulthood. I'm picturing a novel, but I'm open to other styles, memoirs, short stories, poetry, just needing someone to share in these feels with me. Aw, I, like, send you good luck with your nostalgia, Emily. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep talking. I am recommending The Ugly Cry by Danielle Henderson, which is a memoir. Loved it, loved it. And it is deeply about thinking about your childhood from the standpoint of being an adult, but, like, also immersing yourself in those childhood feelings. I will give content warnings before I tell you a little bit more about it for child abuse and addiction. Um, So Danielle grew up in like a complicated sort of situation. Her mother had very poor taste in men and problems Mm. of her own. And so uh, because she was like constantly in and out of relationships with, you know, guys who were into drugs or abusive, um, Danielle was mostly raised by her grandparents. And she, as she says, she grew up black and weird before weird was cool Mm. in a mostly white neighborhood in upstate New York. And like it is there's one passage in particular that that jumped into my head as I was reading this question where she's talking about what it was like to be a kid in the 80s where like, you know, 
you're just like sent outside to play. Don't come back until dinner. What was that like? Like, I remember that. She remembers that. She's going to like talk about it. And it is really funny. It also obviously has some very sad moments. She goes through some things. But she's like so real and hysterically like thoughtful, funny, snarky, whatever. Like it's she's so good at this. And and also just has so much love for her grandparents, even though, like, oh, my gosh, her grandmother's such a character. Like, I just think this is going to give you a lot of the feels that I mean, it'll 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 ride shotgun with the feels you're already having, which is what you're looking for. Uh, so, again, that's The Ugly Cry by Danielle Henderson. What is that movie from the 90s that had, like, Christina Ricci as a kid and Thora Birch. Oh, yeah. Uh... It's not Stand By Me. That was, like, the boy version. No, that's the boy one. I feel like you need to go watch that. Ghost Girl or Ghost Ghost something. No. It'll come to me. It'll come to me. Because it, like, came on Netflix or something last year. Everybody watched it. Anyway, I feel like that's what you need to go watch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the book that I'm recommending is The Most Fun We Ever Had by Claire Lombardo, uh, which is about a couple, uh, Marilyn and David, who meet in Chicago in the 70s. And then you're just kind of with them for 40 years. And when the book opens, they are, one of their kids is getting married. And they are, um, you know, they've been married for 40 years, as I said. And they're, like, still very much in love. They have four adult children and a grandchild who who's 15 who are all POV characters in the book. Their four kids are not, like, messes, but they're not, they haven't been able to find this kind of long-lasting stars-in-your-eyes relationship that their parents have. And so that's caused them some, like, angst. And they all have their own kind of individual neuroses to deal with. But you go back and forth over time from the present day to Marilyn and David, you know, meeting in the 70s and then getting married and, like, the early kind of stuff that married couples deal with. And then you're just with them, like, throughout their lives. Um, Over those 40 years, you get the perspective of the kids growing up. It's just this, like family epic i saw it somewhere um billed as little women meets the corrections like the jonathan franzen novel <laughs> about midwestern family neurotic you know angst um and so I, I think that's pretty accurate like it's it's not as uh as jonathan franzen i don't know if you know what that noise <laughs> that i'm trying to evoke means it's not as like critical of human beings for being human beings it's much more great like forgiving and merciful towards the characters but it is it's also like the here are you here's this family of six and all of their various and sundry foibles and their hardships and their coming back together over you know the course of their life so i think it hits a lot of nostalgia buttons because it's very reflective on childhood from these grown adult characters and you're also like living with these people from the 70s up until the present day so that's the most fun we ever had by claire lombardo All right, our next question is from June, who says, "Um, My grandpa recently passed away. I could not travel to the funeral because of travel restrictions. I realized that I knew very little about the story of his career. I knew that he was one of the pioneer volunteer doctors that helped build the local medical system. I was wondering if there was any books about pioneering doctors in an underdeveloped region. Fantasy preferred if possible. Otherwise, it seems too close to home. All right, well, we're sorry for your loss and Mm -hmm. the travel restrictions. It's awful. So, Jen... This one was a tough one. This was a tough one. Yeah, I, I, I poked around and poked around and poked around, and I finally I landed on a romance instead of fantasy because it is about a doctor who is a pioneer in an underdeveloped region, and also it's Beverly Jenkins. So, like, mm. come on now, <laughs> I think you're gonna really love it. It's vivid. 
It does come with content warnings for racism because inevitably uh, she writes about black characters in the 1700s. Obviously, racism was a thing. Um, But the main character of this book, Dr. Vivica Lancaster, is a young woman. She's one of the first women to receive a medical degree. She's also one of the earliest female physicians of color. And she gets offered. She's having trouble, obviously, finding anywhere that will let her practice medicine. And so she gets she answers an ad and gets uh, an offer to go work in a very small all black community called Grayson Grove that's out in Michigan. She's in California. So she heads east on the train. There's this like great sequence in the beginning where she's on the train, like dealing with like, what does what was a cross country trip on a train like in the 1700s? If you were ever wondering, (laughs) this is what it was like. But she gets there and the man who comes to pick her up was under the impression that she was a man and is not super on board with having a female doctor. And so it's all about her struggle to, like, be taken seriously to prove herself as a physician. Also, she and the guy, this is a romance. They, like, go from enemies to lovers. It's a really lovely character arc. And I, it just has such a great like historical vibe to it. That's what, you know, Jenkins specializes in, like bringing that moment in history to life and like what it would have been like for this woman who these women absolutely existed. So this is based on real history, which is super cool. And again, yeah, very much about what it's like to be an early pioneering doctor, um, but also a romance. And it will like heal your heart, hopefully a little bit. So again, that's Vivid by Beverly Jenkins. Um, okay. I, <laughs> I picked a fantasy novel about a doctor who is not necessarily... He's a volunteer... It's complicated. Look, yeah. it's complicated. Okay, so it's called Witchmark. It's by C.L. Polk. And this is about a man named Miles. And this takes place in, like, an alternate uh, World War One England. Uh, but it's not called England. It's got a different name. There's no Germany. It's got a different name. But it's that kind of, you know, vibe. And Miles is volunteering at a veterans hospital. He's a doctor. He works at this veterans hospital helping soldiers who are coming back from the front lines. His secret is that he is a witch and he has like, you know, healing powers. He is a uh, magical being. But in this universe, people who were born with these powers are usually uh, either aristocracy and then if you're if you're like the main witch of the family, you go off and you do those witchy things. If you are kind of a younger sibling or not as talented as the main witch of the family, you're almost like sacrificed to serve that person. So he is born with kind of this destiny to serve his sister and to let her access his power so she can go off and do great things. He decides he's like super not interested in that. And so he fakes his death in the war and recreates his identity and is serving as this doctor for traumatized soldiers and then uh, this all happens in the first like first chapter a man is brought in off the street who says that he was poisoned and he dies on the table but before he dies he identifies miles as a witch and is like although he the the dying man is also a witch and he's like hey doc uh obviously i've been murdered please go off and avenge me essentially like go find a justice (laughs) for me find out who did this and there the man who brought him in off the street is standing there this whole time and miles is now like oh great now this strange person knows that i'm a witch and is going to blackmail me but it turns out that the strange person is just like i would also like to participate in this justice seeking and miles is like "Mm, suspicious but they he's super hot the stranger so miles and the super hot stranger team up to like solve the mystery of who killed this man and all while trying to like hide the fact that they're both witches and not get sent to an asylum and uh and also you know um not have miles's family discover 
uh, like take him back under under into the fold. So like the the pioneering is more of an ethical variety here. Mm. It's like an ethical pioneering of having people accept the other um, kind of a, a thing. And the volunteering is also kind of gray because, I mean, this is an established medical system in this fantasy world that he's operating in, but he's pushing boundaries and he's breaking barriers. There's a murder mystery. There's a romance. It's very heartwarming. Um, and I think it will do the trick. So that's Witchmark by C.L. Polk. Love that whole series. <laughs> so good. All right. Our next question is from Anonymous, who says, I'm looking for epic fantasy about queer women with a heavy dose of romance. I recently read Priory of the Orange Tree, and while I absolutely loved it, I do wish it focused a tad more on the queer romance. I've found some women-loving women fantasies, but they're all YA. And while I've given some a try, the truth is I just don't jive with YA. I don't have anything against the genre, and the concept's really interesting to me, but I rarely end up enjoying it. Anyway, epic Mm. sapphic fantasy recommendations would be much appreciated. It will not be picky. P.S. I will also take a big sci-fi space epic novel if you can't think of any queer fantasy recs. Oh, Anonymous, we can think of so many. <laughs> Amanda, you want to give yours first? Sure. Okay, first of all, why is not a genre? I just have to say it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a I marketing you. category. I know. I understand. I also don't read a lot of Waya. It's fine. But I just, I can't, I can't help it because of who I am as a person. So I picked for you The Tiger's Daughter by Kay Arsenault Rivera. And this is... I'm using scare quotes here based based on Mongolian and also Japanese cultures, like in the same way that Ravka is Russia, right? And that like, mm, okay, it's that's not but I see you. <clears throat> I see you and I understand what we're doing here. But we're not going to pretend like this is actually Russia. So that's that's the kind of cultural background. So this is about Shafali, who is a warrior for the Karin, which is kind of like the Mongolian steppe people kind of culture. And Shizuka, who is the empress of uh, Hikonin? I don't remember the name of the country, but the like kind of stand-in for the Japanese-represented culture here. These two, their mothers were best friends. They are destined to be best friends, you know, that kind of thing. And so they're raised together, even though they are from two different nations or two different cultures. Both of their cultures are battling, like, demons who are invading from the outside. Their parents were, or their mothers were both, like, very well-known warriors in their own right. And they fall in love over the course of the book. The book is huge. It's like over 500 pages. It's also the first book in a series. And it's a slow burn. So it's not like really steamy or anything like that. I mean, the, but the book starts when they're children, you know, and then it ends, I think they're in their like very early 20s. And then book two, you know, carries on from there. So it's, but it's a character study. So like it's their relationship that you're here for. Also, they like kill tigers and demons and go fight a lot of things. And it's like really great adventure. But if you're looking specifically for the romance part, it's it's super slow. And you're probably gonna have to read a couple, like more than just the first book to get like the full realization of their relationship. They're Funny? I don't know if I'm being funny. Not haha funny, but like they're interesting. <laughs> Both of them have their own stubbornnesses, I guess, about their relationship. I mean, I guess just like any other relationship. And then the fantasy portion is in the, the well, they're not real countries. So there's that. These are fantasy made up places. But also the um, the demonic powers that are invading the country that the both of their, the, the both of them are kind of tasked with defending their people from. There's a lot of political machinations. uh, And yeah, it's just like an epic. You're here with them forever. Many, many decades of killing demons and kissing. Killing demons and kissing. That's what you get. So that's The Tiger's Daughter by K. Arsenal Rivera. An excellent combination. (laughs) 
I also just want to say that if you like went into Book Riot and searched for sapphic fantasy, you would get like a thousand posts. So mm-hmm. please feel free to do that when you've gone through our two recommendations and need more. My pick for you is The Unbroken by C.L. Clark. I will, before I start talking about this, because it's like baked into the plot, I will give content warning for... All of the abuses of the colonial colonial colonization variety. So this is set in a like mm, pseudo medieval uh, empire situation. We have two main characters, Terrain, who is a soldier from like a brown background uh, who was stolen as a child and raised as like a conscript in the army specifically to be part of this like special unit and she has not been in her homeland for like basically her entire life and then she and her unit which is made up of other conscripted like stolen children are sent back to where they are theoretically originally from but because they've been gone for so long they have like no connections a lot of them don't remember their original language like it's hashtag complicated Uh, and then our other character Luca is a prince of the empire, like, you know, white in this concept. And she is struggling to prove herself. Her uncle is a regent. Her parents died. And she is like, it is time for me to take over. But her uncle, shocker, doesn't want to give up power and keeps like setting her these semi-impossible political tasks to like prove that she's ready. She's also disabled and, you know, has a lot of like proving to do on a personal level as well as a political level. And she is trying to solve this like complicated situation where the empire has taken over this region but does not have a firm grip on it. And she's trying to figure out like how to quash the rebellion. And the two of them, in the course of like their interactions with each other and this situation, catch feelings, which is extremely hashtag complicated because Mm -hmm. power dynamics and like all of that jazz. So it's both like, how do you negotiate that? Like, can you? What do you do? How do you do it? It's got some steamy, real steamy moments, some really lovely moments, some really hard moments. It's got great action. It is a page turner and it is the first in a series. So if you like it, there's more coming, although this just came out in 2021. So you're going to have to wait a minute for the sequel. But I think it's worth it. And like, for sure, it is very much about ladies who love slash are lusty for each other in an epic <laughs> fantasy situation. Uh, lusty. So, lusty. I was like, what can I say that will not lose us our Apple clean rating? Right. Um, so that's The Unbroken by C.L. Clark. Let's hear from our next sponsor. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So 
a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, our next question is from Carol. It's not about lust. It is about (laughs) (laughs) my pandemic reading has led me to leave only footprints by Connor Knighton and the end of night by Paul Bogard, which I found myself listening to almost meditatively. I love the way that both are deeply personal while also being full of facts and expert opinions and make me want to experience nature in new ways without being prescriptive. What should I read or listen to next? I have not read either of those, so I had to do a little bit of digging about what they were. And they are both narrative nonfiction about some aspect of nature. The End of Night is about like light pollution, which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Leave Only Footprints, I think you can tell from the name what that's about. Um, and a combo of like narrative nonfiction and memoir, as Carol mentioned. So I went with, with that, and I picked The Home Place, Memoirs of a Colored Man's Love Affair with Nature by J. Drew Lanham. Lanham is the he's a poet I think probably most well known for being a poet he's a professor and he's won like prizes from the Southern Environmental Law Center for his work on nature like nature writing and environmentalism and the home place is about his childhood growing up in Edgefield County South Carolina which is this very itty bitty little county home to lots of black families his grandparents and his parents lived on like adjacent farms his father had an active like working farm his parents were also teachers or was it just his dad either one or both of his parents were teachers in the county and like very well known and well respected in that um, and then had this like farm as kind of a side hustle and J. Drew Linham the author spent his kind of entire youth going back and forth between his parents house and his grandmother's house Um, his grandmother's house was uh, very old, even when he was growing up in the 70s, um, and didn't have any, you know, like modern accoutrement, I guess. And so he just spent a lot of time outside because there wasn't like, there's not a TV here for you to watch. There's not certainly any video games here for you to play. So go work the farm and be be an outdoor elf. And that's what he did. So the book is both a look at the, the racial dynamics of growing up in that county that specific county like it's a very micro history kind of look at that um one little county in south carolina you also get the natural history of it so like 
native plants, native animals, um, and then also the state of those native species today versus what it looked like when he was growing up there. But it's it's like mostly just a meditation on being outside as a kid and the kind of specific outdoor experiences that he had. So like the birds he became familiar with, the, the fish he caught in the creek uh, at the bottom of the hill, the kind of plants that he was helping his dad raise on the farm, like hogs, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very place specific, uh, not just a southern kind of environmental book and not even just a South Carolinian one, but there are species of like tree that are that are kind of only found in that county now because of logging. And there are species of birds that aren't found really outside of that area of South Carolina. So it's a it's a both a micro history and then also like a micro ecological history and a memoir all rolled into one. So it's really, really powerful. There's a lot going on here, but it's like really essential, I think, nature reading. So that's The Home Place by J. Drew Lanham. Poets writing nature slash memoir books is like a whole subgenre, it turns out, because my recommendation is also that. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's one of my favorite books from the last couple of years, World of Wonders by Amy Nizuka Matatel. And it is... So you can do this in audiobook, obviously, but I recommend also getting it in print because it is full of beautiful illustrations by Fumi Nakamura. It's just like stunning to look at. But Amy is also a poet and in love with the natural world. And this is very much it's an essay collection. So it doesn't have like the um, straight up narrative uh, nonfiction style that the others that we're talking about here have. But each essay focuses on like a tree or like the axolotl or, you know, a mushroom or whatever, like some natural flora or fauna and what her personal relationship to it is, what she knows about it, what she's learned about it, how it informs like whatever is going on in her life when she notices it. And it's so beautifully done. You learn about her childhood. You learn about her professional career. You learn about what it's like for her to be a parent. You learn about what it's like for her to be um, biracial. Like there's just so many beautiful moments and beautiful words in here. I like I wish this book was longer. I would read like 14,000 pages pages of Nizuka Matatal thinking about nature and herself like I would I would I would continue reading forever basically and I think it's really gonna give you the vibes that you're looking for and also like it is just full of excellent facts about like fireflies or whatever uh, so that is World of Wonders by Amy Nizuka Matatal all right our next question is very short and to the point it's from Christina who says feel good romps set in space I've already read or have on my TBR Becky Chambers' Space Opera by Catherine Valenti, Once in Future, loved that, and Chilling Effect, one of our most recommended books Mm. ever. (laughs) Amanda, what you got? See, I told you that this was going to come up. I said it, and I was right, and the book I'm recommending is You Sexy Thing by Kat Rambo, which I picked up specifically because I knew somebody was going to ask this question again. (laughs) So... Look, you, this is incorrect. You Sexy Thing was was kind of billed. And the reason why I got it, why it caught my eye, is that it's billed as Farscape meets the Great British Bake Off. The Great British Bake Off part is incorrect. There's no, yeah. con- there's like not a competition happening here. It takes, it, well, it opens on the Twice Far Station, which is like a space station at the edge of human and not human civilization. Like it's way, way out there in the 
boondocks essentially and nico who is our main character and is a former admiral in the grand military of the hive mind uh is where she lives now she has her whole crew like she took her her unit essentially out of the hive mind uh the way they did that was by declaring themselves artists in the world of food because that's one of the only ways you can get out of the hive mind is by declaring yourself an artist in some fields and so to like make good on that declaration they have opened a restaurant at the end of the universe hence the great british bake-off comp but there's very little baking i don't know i'm just i'm still i'm gonna stay Mm. mad about that competition like that that comp that's not that's not real so they've opened this uh restaurant and when the book opens they are preparing for the visit of a really galaxy-wide known food critic who if if she gives them a good review, will like make their restaurant. They'll be able to afford um, new equipment. They'll be like set for life. They'll be able to go off and do whatever they want to do. When that critic shows up, the space station gets attacked. And so they all rush with one other um, customer who is there, who's like a wealthy, like a soccer player. I, I kind of got the impression. Some kind of sports person. They rush onto his ship to, to get off the station and like save as many people as possible. His ship is called you sexy thing <laughs> and the, the the dude dies like immediately in the course of getting onto the ship he gives them a password to get onto the ship so that they can be saved but the password he gives them is like a joke password and it's one that sets the ship on an automatic course for a prison planet and so now they're all kind of screwed another wrinkle is that the moments before this all happened uh, Nico got a package that when she opened turned out to be a person who was like in cryo. And so they brought the person with them and then they they unfreeze the person and then that person turns out to be somebody who who adds some wrinkles to their adventure. It's very found family. It's like hardcore Becky Chambers vibes here. Like there's interspecies romance. The found family thing is like this huge theme now in, in feel good romps set in space. Um, none of them are like biological relatives but they all love each other very deeply there's adventure there's heists there's shenanigans there's down (laughs) on your luck you know like the the down on your luck shenanigans is kind of also what's happening in all of these books and i love that Mm -hmm. i love it there are space pirates what more do you want so that's you sexy thing by cat rambo also references to is that tom what's his name you sexy thing. They're like that I, song. I know. I'm gonna have that earworm forever in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Jokes about that song are made throughout. Like there's Easter eggs <laughs> about it through the whole thing. So yeah. Uh, okay. So I am recommending A Pale Light in the Black by KB Wagers, which is the first book in the Neo G series. I always I always have to like caveat myself. I always feel weird recommending military sci-fi for like a cozy mm-hmm. read. Like it feels very strange to do. But the character elements are so strong in this that I can't not recommended if it's not already on your list. I will give a content warning for emotionally abusive parents reference to them. So this is about a bunch of people, but mostly about Maxine, who is one of a family of like, it's a military family. Everybody goes into, you know, the military and like to be an officer, high ranking, like you don't just like you're not a grunt, like you will be fancy because that is the tradition in this family. However, her dream is to be part of like the Space Coast Guard, basically. 
which is not considered fancy enough. And so she mm. has had to fight her family and also like the brass who are trying to assign her in line with what her very fancy parents are like demanding. But she's been fighting to get this assignment. She finally gets it. And then she gets there and like everybody knows her family. They expect her to be a certain way. She's not. So she's dealing with all kinds of like wacky expectations all over the place. And she's just like, oh, why won't anybody let me like do the thing that I want to do? I'm trying so hard here. And there's two big plot elements going on. The first is like a competition with all of the different, you know, units. I don't know the right word of these like the Space Coast Guard come together and they have their own like military Olympics or whatever. So there's like combat and, you know, feats of strength, et cetera, et cetera. And the team that wins gets bragging rights and it's like a super big deal. So she is trying to put together a team and like make sure she wins that. And also there is a huge like intergalactic plot around this drug that helps people not age. Like long life is a thing you can achieve if you have the right connections and the right money. And there's a lot that becomes uncovered about this. There's also an assassination attempt. There's romance. And there's so much. It's very extremely found family. And I really loved it. Like, again, I like feel some kind of way about military sci-fi these days. But like, this is just super enjoyable. The characters are great. There's a ton of different kinds of representation on the page. Like there's queerness, there's neurodivergence, there's gender and sexuality and like, you know, different ethnic backgrounds. There's all kinds of stuff. And it just is very satisfying is is the word. Um, I haven't read the rest of the series yet, but I'm looking forward to getting to them when I have time. And again, that's A Pale Light in the Black by KB Wagers. All right. Our next question is from Jennifer. This was a late, this was a holiday question that we did not see before we went on break, but I'm going to answer it anyway in case your Secret Santa was postponed for any reason. So Jennifer says, my book club is doing Secret Santa and I need help picking out a book. She likes LGBT nonfiction, particularly if it's LGBT plus history. She loved All the Young Men by Ruth Coker Burks. She's also interested in biology nonfiction, so it would be awesome if you could recommend a queer biology book. She's a first year med student and tends to power through a book in a weekend because she's so busy. So something that has a good pace to it and isn't dry would be ideal. Okay, um, I will keep going. I picked Let the Record Show, A Political History of Act Up New York by Sarah Schulman. And I picked this book because I heard her on the Ezra Klein podcast talking about one of the themes of her book, which is conflict communication. So this is a, a book, obviously, about Act Up. It takes place from 1987 to 1993. If you don't know, Act Up was a really famous, still is uh, in existence, AIDS activism organization and in when it started in 80s in the 80s it's it was very like loosely i'm I'm making weird hand gestures like not i'm not the holding tight the loose (laughs) like not (laughs) loosely organized but it wasn't super organized and they had people from all kinds of backgrounds races gender sexualities class came together within like a really short like a six-year period to do something about the aids crisis and they did a bananas amount like they changed the way that AIDS was defined because mm. at first it excluded women. So like you could not, if you were a woman who had AIDS, you could not officially be diagnosed with it. So your insurance would never cover your treatment. So they got that changed. They changed uh, a bunch of stuff about how insurance companies paid or did not pay for like experimental AIDS treatment. They like had sit-ins in the NIH and the FDA about different policies and definitions of AIDS. They had needle exchange programs. Like, they did a bonkers amount of really effective, helpful, life-saving activism. And their organization is pretty 
anarchic. Like there's there's not like a head. There wasn't like a head lead. There was no charismatic leader. People came from all over. And so the point I think that well not I think I know because I listened to the podcast that <laughs> Shulman is making here is is that people can come together to get things done effectively. And they didn't really care. Like one of the people from ACT UP appeared on on a talk show. I think it was Pat with Pat Robertson. Like not to talk about whether or not. AIDS was punishment from God, but because Pat Robertson and the ACT UP activist agreed that they should be allowed to take, that AIDS patients should be allowed to take experimental drugs as like part of medical freedom. So they were willing to talk to whoever to get the thing done. And there was not a lot of like purity tests or whatever for people to come in. Like, if you're here to fix this, we welcome you was was their, you know, way of doing it. And it worked. And so she's making a lot of maybe fair, maybe not comparisons to how ACT UP got all of these things done really effectively because of that versus how like maybe liberals now are having trouble getting a lot of things done because we don't do that. So it's a really interesting work. Of course, it's medical history and specifically LGBTQ medical history around the AIDS crisis, not just men, all kinds of people. And yeah, so that's his uh, Let the Record Show. The subtitle is A Political History of ACT UP New York by Sarah Schulman. All right. I had to get a little help with this because most of the LGBTQ nonfiction I've been reading recently is not historical. <laughs> so I went to Danica, who writes our Our Queerest Shelves newsletter, which is a great side note, for a little help. And she pointed me at a book that I think would work really well. It's called Why Fish Don't Exist by Lula mm-hmm. Miller, who, speaking of podcast connections, is a Radiolab co-host. You might have heard of Radiolab. Uh, and I will give two content warnings before we get into it. Um, it, Miller, this is part memoir, and Miller struggles with depression and suicidal thoughts. And also, the subject of this book, the historical figure, was a white supremacist, and that is discussed and dealt with in the book. But so Miller heard about this taxonomist, David Starr Jordan, who was like, very pivotal to especially like early like fish identification like he in the early 1900s and late 1800s he was working on discovering like all of these different fish and he had this huge specimen collection and he kept being set back in his research by disasters including the earthquake of 1906 which like you know ruined his entire specimen collection and like his life works was you know completely decimated but like he kept going and like found all of these ways to move on. And Miller got kind of obsessed with this story and like started looking into it. And so it is both like a biographical work of Jordan and also her dealing with her own discoveries about her sexuality and like coming to terms with what her life was and wasn't and was going to be. And then grappling with like when you get obsessed with a historical figure and then you find out that that historical figure was also a white supremacist and like did a lot of interesting things but held mm-hmm. these terrible viewpoints. Like how do you deal with that? Like that is also a question that comes up in this, which I think is super relevant to the medical field because so many medical advances, especially like... I mean, even now, but the farther back you go, we're also supported by like super questionable Mm -hmm. moral and ethical practices and people. So it's a real question when you're dealing with the medical world. um, And that might also be helpful uh, for your friend to, to think about. And Miller does that. Absolutely. So, again, that is Why Fish Don't Exist by Lulu Miller. And that's our show. Hooray! Our first book-centric show of the year. year. (laughs) Thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink. And thank all of you for listening for yet another 
Annam. For more recommendations, you can go to bookriot.com and you can find all of our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, including I want to make a point about Adaptation Nation, which is our new show that Jen is about to be on for Macbeth. Is yes, that correct? So yes. excited. So I don't if you don't know, there's a new adaptation of Macbeth coming out with Denzel Washington and Francis McDermott, mm-hmm. which looks amazing. It's an all black and white. I cannot wait to watch it. And Jen is going to be on Adaptation Nation to talk about it. So go subscribe to that. Please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And thank you to our sponsors. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will be back next week. <laughs>